Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. It's raining pretty good, 6 o'clock, and everybody says we need it. And, uh, and, uh, and my wife says, oh, I hope it's not raining, you know, when we go over to church. And, and I said, you know, just, I said it won't be raining at 7 o'clock. It's raining now. That's, it'll be fine. And it was. And I went, praise the Lord, I got it right. <laughs> Amen. Amen. This summer shower thing's cool. We have, back in Ohio this year and in other years, I mean, it just starts raining in April and rains until it turns 90. It did that again. That just, uh, did it again this year. This weather's been great. A little shower doesn't hurt nothing. As long as it dries up, you guys can still get out back on your motorcycles and four-wheelers and lawnmowers. As soon as my wife lays down to take a nap, here comes Brother Rock Moody on his, yeah, on his. I've had cars that didn't cost as much as that lawnmower. So I got electrical cords and hoses and drain hoses and feed hoses, and I'm thinking, whoever's mowing that lawn, boy, I've had it happen. I hope they don't run over anything. And then I seen it was you, and I knew I was safe. You ain't going to do me no wrong. I know you'd be careful. Flip in chapter 2, and let's look at verse 25. Paul talking, and uh, we're going to pick it up. We're going to look at this one verse. It says, Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you a Paphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and that he ministered to my wants. Epaphroditus is from Philippi, and it's a city in Macedonia. And uh, 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 Paul went there on his second missionary journey. It says in Acts 16, verse 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, uh, saying, come, come over unto Macedonia and help us. And there were people over the very heathen place, but there were people praying, and God hears prayers, just like he did Cornelius. Cornelius wasn't saved, but he had enough sense to know there was a God. And he prayed, and God sent him a man of God to give him the gospel clearly. And uh, Paul saw in a vision. Why would he see that? Because Paul was sensitive to the Holy Ghost. Paul was very focused in his... A dedication and service to the Lord. And he's not just saying, well, this is what I need to do. He understood that a main major part of, of being a vessel meet for the master's use is to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So he would ask God for direction, and God would give him direction. And this vision appeared, and, and they needed help, and they're asking for help, and, and uh, they needed help for sure. They were pagan as... You could be. They had a goddess. They had a goddess. Her name was Aphrodite, the goddess of love. Amen. Uh, like Ephesus, you remember reading about Diana. She was uh, she was uh, uh, the uh, the local goddess of uh, Ephesus. Of, of yeah, of Ephesus. And all those ancient cities had uh, patron gods. And goddesses, they were idols. And that was real common in the day and age that Paul's taking the gospel around. And uh, 
and uh, it's kind of like cities nowadays and their sports teams. Yeah, uh, and, and, and let me just say, I'm not against sports teams, uh, but I am against idolatry. Amen. So that stuff, you know, it's okay to enjoy things, but if we don't learn to keep stuff in check, our priorities will get mixed up. Your flesh isn't any more interested in spiritual things, even now that you're saved, than it was before. And that's why in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2, it said, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Because in the natural state, that flesh is just looking to gratify itself. Amen. So, you know, you enjoy fishing, you enjoy hunting, you enjoy I can't bring myself to say golfing. I don't know what's up with that. But you enjoy whatever you enjoy. And that's watching your favorite team. That's fine. But we got to be, well, we're just being reminded tonight, aren't we, to keep those things in perspective. Epaphroditus, buddy, this town is so steeped in idolatry that this lady, this lady, I don't know, her, his mother... Uh, she she named her boy Epaphroditus after the local goddess, after Aphrodite. And I just got to think, oh, that probably was no fun growing up with. <laughs> Amen. I'm thinking of all the different hard time they give him. I was out in, uh, in Huntington Beach, California one year. I was in a Harley shop, and, and uh, this guy comes over, this salesman, He's about 6'2", you know, fit, and, uh, and he's talking to my friend who ended up buying a Harley, and he had kind of red hair and everything. He's a real nice guy, and, uh, and so when uh, Pastor Andrews, some of you know him, was talking to him, uh, I say, what's your name? And I'm going to give him a track. I'm just waiting for a time, right? And he says, Ginger. <laughs> And I just, I totally lost track of witnessing, and I said, oh, I bet that was fun growing up with, wasn't it? And he started laughing, and that broke the ice, and I got my track anyway. Amen. Amen. So this guy's name's Epaphroditus, and it was a heathen town and, 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 a, and a pagan, uh, a place steeped in pagan religion, but Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And you know what? 2,000 years ago, pagan religion was no match for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And ain't nothing changed in that regard right there. Verse 25 there, uh, what I want to look at tonight, Paul calls him, calls him first a brother, my brother, then companion laborer, then fellow soldier, and then he called him, he wrote the epistle to the church there at Philippi, and he, and he says he's your messenger. And so I want to preach on uh, Epaphroditus. I've never said that word this many times in 30 years in church, but uh, we're going to hear it a few times tonight. And uh, so that's what we want to preach on. Brother CJ, I need you to pray over this, if you, uh, if you would, brother. Oh, Father, we thank you for the 
Amen, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. All right, so the first thing we're going to look at, and it's the first thing he said. I'll read the verse again. And yet I, uh, yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother. Now, he called him his brother. I, I want you to hold your place there and look over in Acts chapter 9 and look with me in verse 17. Now, Paul's been uh, converted and, uh, and, and blinded and uh, sent to the city and told that a man named Ananias was going to come and, uh, and, uh, and, and tell him what the Lord wanted him to know. And then you have the, con I love the conversation between the Lord and Ananias. Uh, Ananias was a good man, good man. And in the course of their conversation, Ananias saw that perhaps he needed to remind God of maybe some details that he had forgotten as the Lord told him, I want you to go see this Saul guy, and, uh, and he said, whoa, wait a minute, Lord, this guy. And uh, I've had conversations with him. I've reminded the Lord of some things that, you know, I guess I thought he might have forgotten. Maybe nobody else has done that in here, but could I, uh, could I tell you the Lord uh, knows what he's doing all the time, doesn't miss any details. And when the conversation was over, he got a little tired of dealing with Ananias and said, just go do it. I'm paraphrasing. Just go do what I told you. We're going to pick it up in verse 17. It says this, And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, here you got Paul. He's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He's zealous in, uh, in his service to the Lord. He's doing, uh, uh, with all the energy he can muster, he's doing what he thinks he's supposed to be doing. And the Lord stopped him dead in his tracks and, uh, and changed the course of his life. And, uh, and I don't know how Pharisees referred to one another, but I doubt. I doubt if they called each other brother, they probably called each other doctor and reverend and things like that. And uh, this is probably the first time that Saul, at the time, was ever called brother. Uh, brother Saul, obviously Ananias is not referring to any blood kinship. Amen. It's like us, you know, we're like brothers from another mother. Someone said it like that, you know. Uh, Ananias and Saul became brothers after their individual conversions to Jesus Christ. And, you know, this is true. Uh, as those of you that are saved, uh, uh, Jesus Christ changes things. I called on the Lord in jail because I knew I deserved to go to hell, and I didn't doubt what he did on the cross for sin. I'd heard it all my life, and once, once I was convinced that that could even include somebody like me, I got in on it. I mean, I reasoned that, and it took me a while, a couple of weeks, but I reasoned that if, if there's a possibility that, that a person's sins could be forgiven so they go to heaven and not hell, I'll 
with all the dumb things that I've done in my life and all the drugs and all the liquor and all the bad stuff, uh, uh, not getting your sins forgiven when it's offered to you as a free gift would be about the dumbest thing anybody could ever do. And I'm just saying, I had no clue what I was getting in on. I didn't know what the future was going to hold except for hell was no longer going to be in it. I believe preacher said that. I believed it, and I got saved. And no angels came into my cell, and no fireworks, and no nothing like that. I looked the same, and, uh, and uh, you know, I, I, I'm ashamed to say talked the same for a little while. And, and uh, of course, the drugs and the liquor, they were gone. Of course, actually, they were gone a couple of months before when I got arrested, because... So that was a help. Yeah, I needed that help too. And uh, but the Bible says this. Therefore, if any man, and when it says any man, it's talking about any human, any member of mankind. <laughs> uh, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Say, but you just said, you know, I still had all the hair and I still was in jail and I was still looking at... I'm going to tell you what became new. Something in here, something that I didn't realize, something I can't describe. The Holy Spirit of God moved in and a work started that uh, I could identify now with the circumcision made without it. But at the time, all I knew is something happened... And uh, even though the outward didn't change magically, see, that's what people want. They want, Jesus Christ did everything on the cross to make your, make your salvation a gift to you. And then they want their Christian life, any progress, growth, victory to be the same way. Jesus does all the work, and we just get in on it. And buddy, that ain't Bible Christianity. You get in on this thing because of the goodness and grace in God. And what you get out of it is going to have something to do with what you put into it. Amen. So, so uh, when, when, when you get saved, God puts you in his family. Amen. And uh, let me just tell you, I'm traveling around the country like we do all these years. And uh, this is even before I started, you know, having to work harder at remembering people's names. I mean, it was always a little bit of a challenge because there's so many people. Let me just say that, that, that this, this, this is, hey, brother, good to see you again. That comes in so handy. Hey, sis, oh, man, yeah, it's good to be back. You don't, you've seen them for 10 years. You don't know their name. Help me find their name. And then I'll just pay attention and listen to conversations and hear somebody. Oh, yeah, that's their name. And it takes a couple days to get up to speed. But what a blessing it is that I don't walk out. I really apologize that I don't remember your name. And uh, and because everybody remembers mine. I have no idea why. And, uh, and, uh. That brother thing is, is accurate. We are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, regardless of where we're from, regardless of our race, color, background, previous. Buddy, I'm going to tell you what, the ground is level at the cross, and not just so in regards to anybody can, 
come to the Savior, but the ground level, you start here, and buddy, you're in a new family, and everything's, it really is new. Amen. So it's significant to me that he called him brother. Right off the bat, that caught my attention. Like the book, Biking and Brotherhood, I, I've been looking for true brotherhood since I was a teenager. And, uh, and I, it, I never did find it, but thank God for a praying mother because 31 years ago it found me. And I didn't realize it when I got out of jail and just came to that little Baptist church, the first Baptist church I was ever in in my life. But I went into this little church and, and, and they peep, preacher preached this book like he believed it. People were friendly to me. I didn't expect that. And I'm telling you, I, I, it occurred to me, and I went again that night, again the next midweek, and I realized that this is what I've been looking for my whole life, something to believe in, something to live for. I tried it a lot of different ways for a long time. And I'm going to tell you something. Uh, if you're saved here tonight and you're part of this church, and I've been coming here long enough to say this, I'm not saying it to make either one of them feel good, I'm saying, if you're part of this church, you got in on something that is valuable. I, I feel like saying, and I felt like saying it in my own church through the years and in other churches, you need to just take a couple, couple Sundays and go visit around so you realize what you got in a church that just believes the Bible and doesn't have religion. But I hesitate to say that. I can't say that because I know that some will never come back. Yeah, they'll find a place where there's no preaching on their sin and there's no conviction and there's no aspiration to send money across the world to get somebody else saved. But maybe if we, if, if maybe the people that would go and find that attractive don't fit anyway. I don't know. I'm not promoting that. I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying I'm glad to be in the family of God tonight. Here, here's what Paul says. Now, they're, they're not old friends or anything. This is not like Philemon or somebody. This is Epaphroditus. He's a young guy, but Paul calls him brother. And that's a big deal. Let me tell you something about a brother. Brother DeFerio, come here a minute. I'll use, I'll use you for this. Um, a, brother, a brother's relationship is like this. Faith to face. You see that? That's what brothers are. We look each other in the eye. Amen. Even better than a handshake. You see how I'm talking about? This is close. That's how brothers are supposed to be. Thank you, brother. And uh, we'll go on. First thing he said to him, he called him brother. And uh, that I like that. I like that. We go all over the country and going to churches, some of them we've been a few times, some of them we've been many times, some of them we got three churches in the next uh, five weeks we've never been to before. I'm not worried about it one bit. You know, they claim to believe this same book, believe salvation by grace through faith. We're going to go in there. Well, as far as I'm concerned, we got more in common than, than what our differences might be. And uh, differences in culture or upbringing, that kind of thing, which doesn't mean anything. And uh, we look forward to it because, and I've proved this to be true, for all these years, you go into a place and because of the blood, 
of Jesus Christ that we have in common. Because we're new creatures in Christ. Because he put us in the family of God together. I drop into places in New Hampshire or, or, or Idaho or uh, anywhere. And it's like, hey, we fit right in. That's cool to me. I just, that, I can't get over that. I don't want to get over that. Amen. There's only one explanation for that. And it's him. All right, so he says uh, about him, it said in verse 25 there in Philippians chapter 2, Yet I suppose it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother. And then he says, and companion in labor. Companion in labor. Now, companion is one who keeps company with another or associates with another. Word comes up in the Bible, and uh, I'll read you a couple of them. Proverbs 13 and verse 20 says this, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Now, would somebody explain to me how you can improve on that with a different version? If that's not clear, amen, a, 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 a man that walketh with wise men shall be wise. Amen. And a, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Proverbs 28, 7 says, Whoso keepeth the law is a wise son, but he that is a companion of riotous men shameth his father. I'm going to tell you what, if you claim to be saved and you get out of sorts with God and you become a companion of riotous men, it's your heavenly father you're bringing shame on. Amen. Now, Proverbs 28, verse 24 says, Whoso robbeth his father or his mother and saith, It is no transgression, uh, the same as a companion of a destroyer. Buddy, that word comes up. Those are not good contexts. Amen. But see, Epaphroditus isn't accused of being a companion of fools or riotous men or of a destroyer. Uh, Paul made a point to say this, that he has a companion in labor. A companion in labor's relationship, unlike face-to-face, -face, is side-by-side. -side. Companion and labor are two, let's say two, uh, that are working together for a common goal. Not competing, not trying to outdo, not trying to upstage, not looking for a for a way to uh, uh, move up the ladder type of thing. No competition. That's a companion in labor. Listen, uh, the doggy dog world, the business world, all the secular world, people are jockeying for position. But it ought not be so in the body of Jesus Christ. We should be companions in labor for the glory of God. Amen. And he calls Aphroditus, Aphroditus, uh, that he called him his companion in labor. That is a compliment of, of high, high caliber. Amen. Uh, it says in, uh, and just to, to show you how it's mentioned over and over. In 1 Corinthians 3, in verse 6, Paul writes, I have planted, uh, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Amen. Uh, it isn't. God does it. Oh, God so loved the world uh, uh, that uh, 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 God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten 
forget the verse. Uh, uh, for God so the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. God does not willing that any should perish. It says in 2 Peter chapter 3. So therefore, no, no. It's not just some magical thing uh, that people are forgiven. God will do the saving, but there's some, there's a groundwork, a framework in place, and it involves people being working together as companions in labor. Uh, if the seed's never planted, it's never going to grow. But the seed can be planted if it's never watered, it's not going to grow. But if companions in labor. It says there in the next uh, couple verses down, verse 9, for we are laborers together with God. If we'll do our part, if we'll be companions in labor, then the stage is set for God to give the increase and therefore get the glory. It says in John 4 and 36, he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Sometimes I'll go to church and uh, and preach a meeting, and a couple people get saved, and oh, what a great meeting, Brother Spurgeon came. Let me tell you something I learned long, long ago. If we come to a church, and we preach, and somebody gets saved, it's because seed has been sown, it's because seed has been watered, it's because that soul has been prayed for. You follow me? It ain't got nothing more to do with me alone than it has to do with you alone if you lead somebody to Christ somewhere else. It's a process, and we're supposed to get in on it, and we ought to want to get in on it. It doesn't get any better than to be a companion in labor for the work of Jesus Christ. My wife read an illustration. Reads, she reads all the time. I said, if there's anything interesting, let me know. You know, and... Uh, <laughs> And uh, she's telling me about this uh, plow horse competition. And we were just, we were just in uh, Amish country in Ohio, and my campground was like 20 miles from the church, and we're driving it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And uh, one time I was there, and I was fueling, and uh, fueling my Jeep, and uh, my car's covered with mud, and it had been rainy and everything, and so the car's really dirty, no big deal, no big deal. And... Uh, but I'm standing there fueling, and I'm looking at, and I'm looking, and I'm looking, I get closer, and, and all my mud had straw, pieces of straw, and there's straw all over the side of my car, and, and, and I realized that wasn't mud. So anyway, they have these big plow horses out there in those fields. It's cool to see six of them, four of them, big old plow horses. And uh, not the Budweiser ones, like some of your things. The big old plow horses, and uh, she's reading about, you know, this was 150 years ago, um, a plow horse competition, and it was a big deal. It'd be like a tractor pull around here. And, uh, and, uh, and so there were teams of, of horses that were, I mean, the finest bloodlines and all that kind of thing. And then over here was, I mean, expensive and uh, they, you know, and they're all, you know, chomping at the bit, getting ready to go out there and do their thing. And then there's the ones that are, I mean, just like I said, really expensive. And make sure I didn't miss anything. Oh, best looking, yeah, best, best bread, but most expensive. I mean, the tails and braids. What? Ooh, the, what? Okay. And uh, and then there's this other team of horses there, and they're just like real plow horses. And uh, 
and uh, you know what? Guess who won? You know, you saw that coming. So this team, and they weren't all groomed real pretty, and they sure, they weren't of special breeding or any of that thing, but they got in that yoke, and whatever that sled, whatever that weight was, those two horses won the competition. And it wasn't because they were expensive or pretty or had some pedigree. It was very simple. They won because they worked together. Amen. They pulled together. They were companions in labor. Matthew 11 and 29 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest for your souls. Rest unto your souls. And, and for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And beloved, when you and I, uh, our companions in labor, get yoked up with Jesus Christ, I mean, something will get done that will last forever. It said there in uh, Galatians chapter 6, I think verse, I think it's verse 10, might, uh, might be 8, uh, he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. I love the poem. I, I, I looked it up. There's 20 verses. I'm not going to read them all to you. But you would know uh, from the first verse, only one Life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Amen. And we can be companions in labor together for the cause of Jesus Christ and see the Lord do great and mighty things which we couldn't comprehend, we couldn't orchestrate, we can't take the credit for. But boy, I tell you, we can get in on it. And here we got the Apostle Paul. He's not Brother Saul, rough as a cob, just coming out of the Phariseeism, finding out what his commission is. By the time he writes this epistle to this church in Philippi that he loved very much, he called him my beloved, my crown, and my joy. And, and by the time he writes that, he knows what he's writing about. He's seen God do things. He's seen God use people. And to me, when I look at that thing, and he says this about a guy whose name shows up twice in the entire New Testament. When he said that about him, boy, he said something about him. And he called him companion of labor. Let me show you something else. Go to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 3 before we move on. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 3. And he said this, And I entreat thee also... I'll give you a second. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 3, And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. We're talking about companions in labor. Uh, those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and my other fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Beloved, I'm telling you, there's women that are companions in labor. There were ladies that were co-laborers with the Apostle Paul. Only seven fellow laborers got their name in the book, this book. But Paul says it right there. The rest of them are in the book of life. 
Let me just tell you, uh, uh, you know why Susan and I are able to do what we do? I know this is, can, might come as a surprise to some of you, but we don't always agree on everything. I'm not even looking at it right now. See that? <laughs> Amen. It, it isn't because we don't have differences of opinion. Oh, boy, that's for sure. You know why we're able to do what we do week in and week out? Amen. I'll tell you why. Uh, uh, Philippians chapter, I'm sorry, Psalm. Uh, Psalm, talked with a P, it all looks alike to me. Uh, Psalm 119 and verse 63, uh, David writes this. I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. You know why we do what we do and we can do it in spite of our differences? It's because we are companions in labor for the work of God. Amen. And if she ever gets right, we'll have, you know, but until then, we'll just keep working for the Lord. Again, I don't even look at her when I say dumb things like that. So Paul said some things about this fella, and he calls him a brother. And I'll tell you what, that's, that's a big deal. To be a brother in Christ, amen, is a big deal. We're not loose cannons anymore. Amen. We're not individual contractors anymore. If you don't like being a brother in Christ, you'll thaw that before you got saved. Amen. Now you're in the family of God. And, and we ought to be companions in labor. It isn't just his job or his job or my job. It's everybody's job. Everybody has a job. I'll show you that. But the next thing I want to touch on the next thing he says about Epaphroditus, he says, My brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier. F fellow soldier. You know, I talked about the relationship between brothers is face to face. You can look each other in the eye. You're on the same team. But the relationship of fellow of companions and laborers side by side, working together for the glory of God to accomplish a common goal. But you know what the relationship of soldiers is? It's back to back. Back to back. Take your Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 6. And I'll tell you exactly what I mean. Ephesians chapter 6, I can't read this without reading verse 10. The Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Then it says this, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of, dark, of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness, in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Let's read it. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having got the excuse me, breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It says, put on the whole armor of God, then it lifts it. And it's spiritual. Amen. And if you look down that stuff, press plate, everything's on the 
front of the Christian soldier. Amen. And uh, I get that. We're supposed to be heading into the spiritual battle. I get that. And I've heard uh, preachers say probably a couple through the years, you better not retreat or even turn around because your back will be unprotected. Well, I guess that's good preaching, those fiery darts. But if that's true, if your back is unprotected, there is a problem. It shouldn't be. With the world, the flesh, and the devil against us, not to mention backslidden brethren, and there's no shortage of Pharisees, by the way. Beloved, it is more important than ever that we have each other's back. Your back shouldn't be unprotected. There should be a fellow soldier there. And you should be a fellow soldier with somebody else. I learned years ago that strength is not in number. I'd rather go into battle with one man I can trust with a, than a dozen that I didn't know if they're going to be there when it got, uh, got crazy. And I know what I'm talking about. Amen? The devil knows that strength is in unity too. How do you know? Because that's why he attacks. The spiritual attack comes at the unity of the church, the unity of the home, unity of the family. Amen. Unity of friends. It is amazing now looking back over the time that I've been saved. People that I, were like this, I mean, that aren't even friends anymore. And that's sometimes, listen, we have a spiritual adversary that our biggest problem with him is we sincerely underestimate him. So the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, has a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The unity that God established for the local church is, is something that he not only wants to disrupt, he's good at it, and he does it. Epaphroditus was referred to as a fellow soldier. And uh, we like the verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2 where Paul said, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you something now, after being at this a little while, it's a lot easier to endure hardness if you know somebody's got your back rather than talking about you behind your back. And this social media age has made that so much easier. Amen? People don't even think before they speak, they don't get an idea, and sometimes that thing can mellow out before they see somebody to talk. Buddy, they got it out there on the World Wide Web. It ain't that. Uh, that ain't ha having somebody's back. I'm gonna tell you what. It's a lot easier to endure hardness as a good soldier when you don't have to worry about the people that are around you looking to put something in your back. Amen. Amen. I'll tell you what prevents Christians, many Christians, even with the best of intention, from ever being good soldiers for Jesus Christ. Uh, verse number 4 in 2 uh, Timothy 2 says, uh, No man that warreth entangleth himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Amen. See, it says, entangleth himself. 
Yeah, we got a, we've got a formidable foe in the devil, but the affairs of this life cannot entangle you if you're submitted to Jesus Christ. James chapter 4 says, Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. But I'm here to tell you tonight, beloved, you can entangle yourself. And you can do it without even realizing it. And again, just like we talked about sports teams or sports or hunting, you, you, get, you let your priorities get out of line a little bit. And uh, next thing you know, man, you've got, you've got things to deal with that are going to prevent you from being a companion in labor, that are going to prevent you from being a fellow soldier. And sometimes, and I've seen people uh, counseled, dealt with, come to the altar, and they don't even, what happened? And the verse is clear. The wording is plain. No man that warreth entangleth himself. And we live in a day and age where everybody's got to find somebody to blame. And the Bible tells you who the, who the blame is most of the time. And it ain't him. And it ain't somebody else. So then every man shall give an account of himself to God. That's why it's important to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. That's why it's important to do business with God when the Holy Spirit, we just take it in, take it in, take it in, oh, I'm just late, I'm gonna, and take off, and we don't even give God a chance, and we're blowing it, and the devil loves it. Amen. You need to be mindful tonight. No man of war entangle himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Maybe it'd do us all good to be reminded on a more of a regular basis than we are that he chose us to be a soldier. Now you endure hardness and you'll be a good one. Brother Thomas was a good soldier. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, but he knows what bad soldiers look like. And we got plenty of them too. And I can tell you in the body of Christ, we got some, I mean, AWOL, deserter. <laughs> you're not automatically a good soldier just because you're saved and wave the King James Bible around. But you're going to have to endure some hardness. And evidently, Epaphroditus must have, because he's referred to as a fellow soldier. And you should be a good soldier, a fellow soldier, too. Why? Why, Brother Spurgeon? Because there's a war going on. Next week, you guys, you, you're at this church, and others, a bunch of others, are going to camp. And there's kids that are going. And some of them are not even nearly the spiritual giants that they've got you convinced that they are. And this is a big deal that they can get a concentrated dose of preaching and, and again, fellowship with, with other Christians. And, buddy, if you think the devil's on vacation when youth camps are meeting or churches are having revivals, you're not paying attention. You're paying attention to something. But it's the wrong thing. Fellow soldier. All right. And then and then he said, uh, and fellow soldier, let me see, my brother, companion labor, fellow soldier. But your messenger. He was a messenger. 
uh, uh, he delivered this epistle to the church at Philippi. Paul dictated it. He wrote it. But Paul dictated it, and he delivered it. I heard a story one time, this pastor's, uh, uh, might have been Mike, I might, maybe when he was a kid, it probably was. He was watching his dad prepare a message, and uh, his dad's, you know, much not, you know, as seasoned as he is now, you know, and spiritual things just roll off his tongue. And, uh, but back in the early days of his ministry, and he's laboring over messages, kind of like I have to do now, you know. And, uh, and, and, and he's writing, and he's, you know, and I do this, he's he crossing stuff out. Of course, now I just highlight and delete, but he's crossing stuff out, Pastor go. And, and Mike asks, he said, Dad, where do those messages you preach come from? And Brother Legault says, my son, they come from God. <laughs> and Mike said, then why do you keep crossing stuff out? All right, what do you think? Let's take a vote. Should I drop that from the message next time? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Let me just say something about this messenger thing. You know, I'm a messenger. That's all. I've got a Bible. I've got a call. Lord willing. I've got Holy Ghost direction. I've got a desire. Amen. I don't have an agenda. I don't come in here with a preconceived notion about what will straighten the body of Christ out. or I don't look around, I don't sit back, and I look and see what you're doing and listen in this behavior and that behavior. And I, okay, God, I know what to go down the checklist. And I, and I only reason I say all that because I've heard of that kind of thing. I'm glad God didn't put me in that camp. I would have bolted years ago, probably. But when a preacher like your pastors, myself, other men that you've had here, Lord willing, get up here there with a spirit to help you. Now, the Bible says to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. And that means that sometimes you might not like. Nobody cares when you're preaching on everybody else's sin. I heard a song in New Jersey a couple months ago, and, and they sang this song. It says, my sin looks, looks uh, worse on you than it does on me. <laughs> and I thought... That deeper than whoever wrote that, really. Nobody cares if the preachers get in a pulpit and preach on stuff other people's doing. You don't mind that. You'll amen that. But when it starts getting close to home, when the preacher starts preaching something and the Holy Spirit's putting his finger on something that you, that you need to deal with, you got two choices. And you either submit to that or you bow up, and you go out with an attitude, and it happens all the time. Maybe somebody in here has been guilty of it. But when the messenger of God brings a message that Lord willing, the Lord directed, and remember, we're just human too. But when the Spirit of God bears witness to your spirit, you do well to pay attention. I've heard many things I, don't, I haven't liked. And I had a choice. And it was go that way, mad, or go this way. And I'm not a quitter, and I'm not a coward, and nobody's running me off, Lord willing. So in those times, he's not a young Christian, 
in those times where I wasn't happy, I would go to an altar and I'd say, God, what about that? And it, I don't even have to go into what God, how God dealt with me. There have been times he went, that wasn't for you. And there were times where, what's the question? You heard it. What are you going to do with it? And again, then the choice is mine. I don't want to. I don't want to be a used to be. I don't want to wash out. I'm talking about as a Christian. I want to figure out what God wants. He's worthy of that. So you be mindful. Epaphroditus was, was, was Paul's messenger to these people. I want to close with the final words of that verse, Philippians 2.25. He said, and he that ministered to my want. Paul needed some help. And Epaphroditus came from Philippi and helped him. And he got out of his comfort zone to do it. Because verse 27 said, Therefore he indeed was sick nigh unto death. And he didn't let sickness keep him from doing. He went above and beyond. We still got people that haven't come back to church over COVID. I tell you something tonight. It doesn't have anything to do with COVID. It it it's because they got comfortable at home. And yeah, you can if we I don't know if we're live streaming here or not, it doesn't matter to me. But uh you can get I mean, some of us we had to watch church for a while. And boy, wasn't it nice to come back. When I came in in June of twenty twenty, we didn't have half the people we had have here right now. Remember how sparse it was? And you guys were taking up offerings with masks on? And I got in the pulpit, I said, I used to take up offerings with a mask on. <laughs> then they put out an arrest warrant. I don't know what it's about that. And uh, remember what the, and you know what? And, I, and this was the first church when we started up again in June. And I said, you know what? The people were down, but the spirit was great. Because the people that wanted a beer were chomping at the bit. And that was a joy. To preach. I hope I can write my notes about this meeting as good as the ones I did that time. Amen. Lord met with us. But then I hear this in the two years since that, and a lot, I hear it a lot, and I don't know the case here. I didn't get briefed. Is there a drone in it? uh, But there's people that got comfortable with that and didn't come back. And it wasn't because they're elderly. It wasn't because they had health issues. They just, guess they got used to watching church in their pajamas. That's, that's sick. All right, let me tell you my take. Let me tell you my take on Internet church versus the real thing. To me, it's like when we were starting out in evangelism, we had all them kids traveling with us. And you know what? I mean, every time we left a service, Except when we were in Markville. Damn, kids, we had to go to Wendy's. We had to go to McDonald's. We had to, well, obviously, we don't have a problem here. And But I mean, you know what I mean? And it was fast food, and it's not good for you, and we understand. But, you know, it met the need, right? That's what Internet church is like. It's like drive-through fast food. Yeah, okay, it it give you a little fix for a minute. But, boy, compared to, like, Thanksgiving dinner compared to a home-cooked meal. That's what this is. That's what you guys get. 
Not this week. I don't know what this is. You know, thank you for putting up with me. You hear me? Amen. Epaphroditus went above and beyond. And isn't it nice when people go above and beyond? And nobody does that better than Christians. That's why Christians are sometimes an easy mark for a con artist. Because we're charitable and generous, and we know what God can do. And so, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, sometimes some Christians, and maybe we all start like this to some degree, but some con- Christians are just perpetual takers. I mean, one, even one of the hymns, Feasting on the Riches of His Grace. Let me tell you just something. As you mature, you get to a place in the Lord where you realize you're supposed to give back. That's when you find out that God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. The secret to getting God in on your Christian life is being a blessing, giving, ministering. He said, Epaphroditus ministered unto him. Verse uh, 18 of Philippians 4. I said I was closing and I'm getting there. It said this, Paul writes, But I have all and abound. I am full and have received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Amen. The care package that they sent by Epaphroditus was delivered, and it was greatly appreciated by Paul, but Paul makes a point to put in his word that it was well-pleasing to God too. He ministered to Paul once. Epaphroditus is referred to as a brother, a companion in labor, a fellow soldier, and a messenger. And just, you know, by way of invitation or wrapping it up, let me just ask you, can those things be said about you? And why wouldn't they be? I mean, this is just a New Testament believer, no different than you. Are you the brother or sister you, you should be? You need to think about it. Amen. Uh, are, are you involved in doing something for God? And everybody, there's so many things to do. And, you know, some people clean the church. Some people mow the grass. Some people go on the street corner. Some people uh, process missionary letters. There's so many things. But then again, there's people that just don't seem to, and I get it. You get to a place where it's like, hey, I want to do something for God. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. And that's what you ought to be shooting for. Amen? Are you involved? Well, a soldier's taking oath. I was just thinking about this 30, 51 years ago. <laughs> I got on a bus in Toledo, Ohio, and went to the federal building in Cleveland, joined the United States Army to get away from my mom and dad, who kept telling me what to do. I know, I know, right? And you know what they did in Cleveland before I ever got near Fort Knox? That's where I got sent. I took an oath. I made a commitment. And beloved, as fellow soldiers of Jesus Christ, we need to make a commitment. 
And sometimes you just, in the military, sometimes you got to re-up. Sometimes we need to re-up. We just need to recommit so that we can please him who hath chosen us to be a soldier. Let's all stand. Now the last point was messenger. And so if you're saved, you've got the message that this world needs desperately. And that Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I know people that have been saved a while and they wouldn't have a clue how to, but I know people that, uh, I mean brand new Christians, that have memorized John 3.16. And that guy, that neighbor, that co-worker, maybe that's exactly the ground floor. They need to hear again with sincerity that God loves them. How much? That he gave his only begotten son to give them a chance so that they don't go to hell. And we know that, and we quote that, and we embroider it on our stuff. But we need, and I'm good, I'm for all that. But we need to be the messenger that God would have us to be. Epaphroditus, he is pretty, he's one of my heroes now. And I've read his Bible 30 years, never even gave him no notice. If you're saved in here, you got the message. You got the message the world needs, and you got the message tonight. The altar's open. But let me say this. If you're in here tonight and you're not saved, you might be a great person. I'm not challenging that. But if you're in here tonight and you don't, you've never trusted Jesus Christ plus nothing, minus nothing. You understand? Trusted what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary to pay for your sin. That's what the Bible says that's about. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's personal as it gets. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. It's not a religious prayer. The prayer is after the believing. The baptism is after the believing. The works are after the believing. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And you're created under good works, but it's the believing that gets you in the family of God. Amen. We're glad you're here tonight, Tuesday night. There's a great spirit here. If you're here tonight as an honored guest and you don't have the confidence that I'm talking about, that your sins are under the blood that we've been singing about. Somebody said in school, the only dumb question is the one that wasn't asked. If you're in here tonight and you've got a question about any of that, that's what we're here for. Amen. And my opinion doesn't mean any more than yours, whoever you are. So, 
you won't get my opinion or Pastor Kenny's opinion. We'll just try to show you what the Bible says. They may like that tonight. We'd sure love to help you. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. People are praying. Now, you Christians, like I said, you got the message. I trust that you'll do business with God. If you're in here tonight and you don't know, you don't have the assurance that I'm talking about, the confidence that I'm talking about, that if you died on the way home tonight, God forbid, but if you did, you're not sure you'd go to heaven. You surely hope so, want to, definitely don't want to go to hell. But if you don't have the confidence I'm talking about tonight, I'm telling you, you can have it. Could I pray for you? Would you slip your hand up? If you're near tonight and you don't know, Jesus Christ is your Savior. Would you just slip your hand up, put it right back down? All right. You know, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm also not going to let a service go by assuming anything. What number we got there, men? 636. 636. You're done at the altar. If you need to come, come. 